This is UU Utah Phillips, the golden voice of the great Southwest, and you are indeed listening to Loafer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. My old friend, the owner of a new boat, stops by to ask me to fish with him. And I say I will, both of us knowing that we may never get around to it. It may be years before we're both idle again on the same day. But we make a plan anyhow, in honor of friendship and the fine spring weather and the new boat and our sudden thought of water shining under the morning fog. Phillips, and I'm just back from Eureka, Nevada, out there with Mark Ross and Cuddy doing the show in the restored old opera house in this little tiny town lost in the Nevada desert. Eureka, uh, the nearest town is 70 miles away. It was quite a trip. So we got in last night, and, and here in Nevada City, of course, California, where even the birds are chained to the sky. That was Arthur Rambeau, or one of those nervous French jerks, I suppose. Well, let's start off here with, I mentioned Mark Ross from Butte, Montana. We traveled out over the desert there. Let's start off with Mark Ross and the Battleship of Maine. McKinley called for volunteers was then I got my gun. First Spaniard I saw coming, I dropped my gun and run. It was all about the battleship of Maine. At war with that great nation Spain. When I get back to Spain, they're gonna honor my name. It was all about the battleship of Maine. Are you afraid to die? The reason I am running is because I cannot fly. It was all about the battleship of Maine. Oh, the blood it was running, and I was running too. It gave my feet good exercise, was nothing else to do. It was all about the battleship of Maine. At war with that great nation, Spain. When I get back to Spain, they're going to honor my name. It was all about the battleship of Maine. Well, while I was running, I fell down on my knees. Right there in front of me was a great big bucket of beans. It was all about the battleship of Maine. Well, the beans, they was greasy. The meat, it was fat. The boys was fighting Spaniards while I was fighting that. It was all about the battleship of Maine. At war with that great nation, Spain. 
When I get back to Spain, they're going to honor my name. It was all about the battleship of Maine. Tell me what kind of shoes do the Rough Riders wear? Buckles on the side, they cost ten dollars a pair. It was all about the battleship of Maine. And what kind of shoes do the poor farmers wear? Old beat-up brogans, they cost fifty cents a pair. It was all about the battleship of Maine. At war with that great nation, Spain. When I get back to Spain, they're gonna honor my name. It was all about the battleship of Maine. Mark Ross, the world's greatest tramp in my estimation, and the only person I know of, he, and Mark's only a little over 50 years old, can still make it sound like it was 100 years old. He, he has that genius. He sat down here at the studio KVMR and recorded that for me because I was trying to figure out a way to introduce the state of Maine. I know it's a rather cheap way to get into it, but I always favored that song anyway. Yes, my wife and I, Joanna, and this program is dedicated to her, by the way. Uh, she loves the state of Maine. That's where her heart is. Uh, she spent a year living in Jonesport, a little fishing village up on the coast, and that's where her son was born, Ian. We, I, I was invited back, both of us invited back. I was going to do a commencement speech at uh, the College of the Atlantic in Bar Harbor, I didn't know exactly what they were commencing, but uh, they were paying for, to get us there, and we needed a vacation anyway. And they gave us an honorarium enough so that we could go up uh, up the coast of Maine and visit Jonesport and, and, and some of those towns too fierce to mention. Maine, that's the kind of music that I'm going to play for you, and I'm going to talk uh, about that a bit. A lot of old friends and acquaintances in Maine from years ago when I played up through that country. Kendall Morris now. Well, Kendall Morris is one of the best singers I ever heard and certainly a prodigious great main storyteller, a captain, uh, Captain Morris. Um, he, he was the one who told me how to, the most civilized use for zucchini that I ever heard. Up there, he said, uh, where a zucchini and, and rhubarb is about all that will grow of a summer, uh, they take a big, one of those big zucchinis, they had to get real big, Hindenburgini, and they cut the top off hollow out the pulp from the inside, pack it full of hard sugar, sprinkle some brewer's yeast over the top of it, and then put the top back on with toothpicks, and put the whole thing in a gauze bag. Then hang the whole affair from a low limb over a bucket. Well, after a while, that bottom of that zucchini will begin to drip pure zucchini alcohol down into that bucket. Of course, you have a gauze over the bucket, too, to keep the flies out. And that, that Zucchini alcohol is like as if you as if you tattooed a dotted line around your forehead and ripped off the top of your head. I mean, it doesn't get you plastered; it gets you stuccoed, friends. Kendall Morris, a fellow I've neglected of late, uh, very very much, and I regret that a great deal. Listen, if I was to ever come back, 
and I'm, I assume that I will, uh, I, I would like to come back with a voice like Kendall Morris's. This is my favorite voice. Here's an old uh, agricultural song, a farming song from up in Maine. Uh, Kendall Morris singing the haying song. When the raspberries burst from the wood vine And the summer lies close to the ground And the porch is a good place for young boys to sleep And the brook in the hollow dies down With straw hats and wagons and horses Like young Tim and tired old Dan We head for the fields to the creek of the wheel With a pitchfork that blisters your hand and you have to make hay while the sun shines That's what all of the hill people say Just keep your load wide, keep your eye on the sky And make sure it's dry when you put it away I remember the chaff on the back of my neck And the cool at the edge of the trees And you rest for a time, talk about the weather Drink from the spring, get mud on your knees Then it's back to the wagons and back to the mouth Six loads in and eight more to go But there's biscuits and beans at the late supper meal And there's nothing like beans when you're working, you know Have to make hay while the sun shines That's what all of the hill people say Just keep your load wide, keep your eye on the sky and make sure it's dry when you put it away It's the season of clover and killdeer It's the time when the earth does her best When all men are strong and the work days are long And you know when to rise and you know when to rest In the cool of the evening I perch on the load Let the wagon wind blow through my hair and I count off the stars and talk to the moon Sing to myself in the sweet summer air Hang on at the corners, duck from the branches Sing to myself in the sweet summer air And you have to make hay while the sun shines That's what all of the hill people say Just keep your load wide, keep your eye on the sky and make sure it's dry when you put it away. Kendall Morris, the haying song. What a what a sweet, sweet voice. Now, up there in northern Maine is uh, Aroostook County, the only freight train I really I ever rode in the east. Well, I wrote two, the Boston and Maine uh, through the North Adams Tunnel. Uh, that was from Mechanicsville, but then I picked out the Bangor and Aroostook, and I rode up to the county once. It's many, many years ago. There was a fellow up there by the name of Henry Hatch, and I don't know if he is still among us. I first met him at the Storytelling Festival down in June, Jonesboro, Tennessee, from way up there in northern Maine. A uh, plenty, plenty good storyteller, and he told about the old logging days in Maine. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of my elders that I met out in the Pacific Northwest, these old wobbly loggers that I like to talk about, my teachers, they started out in Maine as immigrant loggers. They logged off that and then went into the White Pine in northern Michigan, logged off that, and then hit the freight trains out of Duluth to go west to become loggers in the, in the great northwest. There is a great logging tradition in, uh, in the northern part of Maine. Henry Hatch talked about the great Tom Lamb. Tom Lamb was a logger who would go out 
logging any time of the any time of the year, summer or winter. You go out uh, with a partner, uh, especially in the winter. At one time, he was uh, up in the top of a tree, was top falling, and uh, his partner. Uh, over there with this big single-bitted basque axe, the axe slipped out of his grasp and flew through the air and severed Tom Lab's head from its body, and the parts fell down into the snow below. Well, that fellow skinned down the pole as fast as he could. He knew he had read in a, in a Yankee magazine, I suppose, about how if you got a, a limb cut off, if you could pack it up in something cold and, and get to the hospital in time, it could be reattached with little or no damage. So he uh, it, it took Tom Lamb's head, slammed it back onto the body, and packed that hard main snow around it. Well, Tom Lamb finished the shift. They went back to the bunkhouse uh, to clean up, uh, and then they went into the cookhouse because they were hungry. Well, it was warm in there, and that snow began to thaw. Well, they brought in the pork chops, and everybody dove for him, including Tom Lamb, which dislodged his head, and it flew against the iron door of the stove with such force that it killed him, deader than hell. Now, that's hard to believe. That was a, still is, a great old-time folk song maker up there in Canada by the name of Wade Hemsworth. Uh, and he wrote a song which is common through all the logging country in Canada and in, and in northern Maine. Let's listen to Wade Hemsworth himself singing the log driver's waltz. If you ask any girl from the parish around what pleases her most from her head to her toes, she'll say, I'm not sure that it's business of yours, but I do like to waltz with a log driver, for he goes burling down a down white water. That's where the log driver learns to step lightly, yes, burling down a down white water. A log driver's walk pleases girls completely. When the drive's nearly over, I like to go down to see all the lads as they work on the river. I know that come evening they'll be in the town and we all want to waltz with a log driver for he goes burling down a down white water. That's where the log driver learns to step lightly as burling down a down white water. A log driver's waltz pleases girls completely. To please both my parents, I've had to give way and dance with the doctors and the merchants and lawyers. Their manners are fine, but their feet are of clay, and there's none with the style of a log driver, for he goes burling down a down white water. That's where the log driver learns to step lightly as burling down a down white water. A log driver's waltz pleases girls completely. Now I've had my chances with all sorts of men. There's none is so fine as my lad on the river. And when the drive's over, if he asks me again, I think I will marry my log driver. For he goes burling down a down white water. 
That's where the log driver learns to step lightly It's burning down, a down white water A log driver's waltz pleases girls completely Burning down, a down white water A log driver's waltz pleases girls completely That's Wade Hemsworth, a legendary song maker. He's the one who wrote the Black Fly song, and I'll, have, uh, I'll create the opportunity to play that for you uh, sometime in the future. When I left Utah 30 years ago to take up uh, the trade of a traveling uh, a folk singer and storyteller, the first festival I played was a little bitty festival there in Petersburg, New York, called Fox Hollow. Uh, we remember it really fondly, uh, sleeping in the bushes there, and, and they never did, you never did know when you were going to be on stage. They posted the day schedule on the side of the outhouse because they assumed everybody would use it sometime during the day. Uh, but the, I remember the first time I saw Marshall Dodge was at Fox Hollow, the great Down East storyteller, told Maine stories. My first sight of him was on the stage there at Fox Hollow in a full sou'wester with that great uh, yellow hat uh, raked back on his head, and he was waving his arms at the audience, and, and he was talking about the, the waves crashing on the main coast, and to illustrate the point, he picked up a bucket and threw water over the first three rows. I tell you, that got their attention. Well, let's listen to Marshall Dodge right now. He's going to do something else, uh, old-time Maine, is, is uh, moose calling. And Marshall Dodge is going to demonstrate to you Gagnon the world's greatest moose collier. Oui, monsieur, I am Gagnon, the world champion moose collier. Already when I am born, I am champion moose collier. I let out my first holler in that little cabin in the Halagash. And three moose, they walk in through the door. I reached the age of 12, and the governor of the state of Maine, he asked me to make a moose count for him. He knows I am the only man in the world who can get all the moose in Maine together at one time. I climb up Mount Katadin to the highest peak in the state, and I let out my moose holler. As soon as it bounce off Cadillac Montagne and make echo of Mars Hill, everywhere there is a cloud of dust. I have to climb rock so I don't get stomped to death. But from this perch, I count 342,000. 698 moose, five Alaska caribou, and a dog with Hawaiian license tag. Oui, monsieur, I am Gagnon, world champion moose collier. Last year when I retire, I am asked to New York to show a group of sportsmen how I make my holler. I am scared about what will happen, even though I take out moose insurance, 
After the dinner, I get up and give my moose call. Well, as soon as it strike Radio City, hit Empire State, and bounce back from World Trade Center, we hear a clatter of hoof in hallway, and doors fly open to show first ugly nose, then mournful eyes, then massive rack, the powerful four quarters, huge hind quarters of eight foot tall bull moose pawing the red plush carpet. These sportsmen, ha! They dive behind tables and chairs, but I let out a little moose whimper. Ooh! And the moose, he walk over into the corner where he stand as quiet as a baby. Next morning, I take him with me on the train back to Maine. When I lead the moose into the woods, I see he walk stiff-legged, and I could have swear I see sawdust trickle out of one ear. Sure enough, two days later, I receive a letter from one of those sportsmen in which there is a clipping from the New York Times reporting the strange disappearance of the moose from the glass case at the Natural History Museum. Oui, monsieur, I am Gagnon, world champion moose scholar. Every word of it true. Yeah, the great Marshall Dodge passed away in a bicycle accident over in Hawaii uh, some years ago. Gagnon. As I've roamed about the country and uh, and North America, I spent a lot of time in Canada, one thing that I've been charmed by is the persistence of regional accents, of a regional dialect, uh, the patois, the argot. And... And I've, I've collected those. My, I've tuned my ear to recognize those. You know, they're gradually vanishing as more and more people watch more and more television. Uh, and there's that journalist, that flat journalist voice that's always the same. I will regret the day when I see those regional dialects begin to vanish. Well, here's some from Maine. Uh, that uh, that uh, College of the Atlantic, the graduating students did senior projects. Samantha Regal, her senior project was talking to Maine fishermen, uh, garnishing those stories and those accents. Let's listen to some Maine voices. And oh, at the same time, uh, Kendall Morris doing her, talking to you about Uriah Boardman. And then, and then my favorite song of Gordon Bach from down in Camden, Maine, called Mrs. McDonald's Lament. Main voices. I was in the Boy Scout 139 troop with some of the older fellows who would go across on the log boom. Two of them took a hold of me and lugged me halfway up that boom, threw me already, and I knew I was about 16, 20 feet of water. And they said, go ahead, swim. One of them said, afterwards, oh, hey, we'd probably take you out if you hadn't made it. <laughs> That's how I learned to swim right there. It's only through of it. When the apples was ripe, we used to go down there and cut an apple stick. 
got to stick like a switch, no big as your finger, and six or eight feet long, stick an apple on the end of it and put it back behind you and throw it ahead like a whip. Them apples go up and pound on the side of that old oil boat. And they'd blow the whistle and everything. <laughs> you could tell if you hit it because it'd be a big, big splat show up on it, a big wet place show up on the side of it. An old iron boat. Get up around the bend and the Smiths would do the same thing. Smiths would put the apples to them up from their side. Oh yeah, well that's where all the kids played then. We used to play on the river all the time. The sawmill next door, we'd go over and get a couple of wide boards and and put a piece in the middle in the front and nail them to it and then bow them out as much as we could without breaking and then nail the stern and put a seat across and then nail boards on the bottom to hold them together. And once in a while we tried to build a sailboat, but usually they tipped over on us. One time a kid lived up the road and we was going to build a boat and we couldn't find any wide enough boards down to sawmill. So he said, there's some up in the air in the grandfather's barn. So we went up in the haymow and took some of the wide boards right out of his grandfather's barn. <laughs> He'd have killed him if he'd known it. We built a boat out of it, though. But they never seemed to last very long. And I don't think we ever got one that didn't leak. They'd leak like a seal. You'd think they'd twirl up, you know, and they would. They'd twirl up some, but, but we didn't have any caulking or nothing. We'd just put them together. My stepfather always had a smokehouse out back, and... I have a smokehouse, and we smoke them. That's the best way to eat them, cold smoked salmon. Have you ever had it? It's wicked, wicked good. And there were enough around in the 70s and 80s that we used to call it Machias bacon. These out here, that right, and you take one of them and take your skin off, it's all oil, all over inside of that skin, you know, awful oily and uh, kind of strong. But Atlantic salmon, or, uh, what we used to get here, never had that oil on them, none of that skin like that, you know. We had a lot of fishermen here in June. The best fishing was the middle two weeks of June, and that's when they all wanted to be here. Well, Mr. Higginson, he was in his 80s when he first started coming, I guess. He was 93 years old, I think, when he came the last time. I'll tell you what he used to do. He used to drive a Cadillac, and he was an avid fisherman. When he got the new Cadillac, he'd take the back seat out and leave it with the dealer. And then he'd bore a hole down through the car and put a big box in there for fish. And then he'd have a drain down through so that any water, you know, that came out of the ice box would go down through. And then when he uh, traded the car in, he'd take the ice box out and everything, put the seat back in. Now, he was quite a character. One of the things that Eastern Maine is famous for is its characters. And we have an abundance. One of them is a guy named Uriah Boardman. And he's a little difficult to explain because, well, as we say down home, see, it ain't polite to come right out and say somebody's numb. <laughs> so we have other ways of saying the same thing. Like his porch light is out. That's a famous one. Or he ain't threaded all the way on. My favorite is a friend of mine named Jackson Gilman always says, he comes from the shallow end of the gene pool. <laughs> well, that's Uriah. 
give you an example of some of the numb things he does. I was down there a while back visiting my friends and relatives. I happened to run into Uriah on the street. He didn't got a sprill of hair, not one. We're walking down the street and he didn't have no hat on. The seagull flew overhead. I probably shouldn't be telling this at dinner. But you'll have to use your imagination as to what that seagull did. Well, he just stood there looking numb. That's what he does best, really. <laughs> so I says to him, you know, he's getting along in years. I says, you stand right here and I'll go in the store and get some toilet paper. He says, oh, never mind about toilet paper. Times you get back with it, that gal will be a mile away. Father's gone and 
his brothers are gone And still he goes down on the dark of the moon Growing the dory and setting the twine And it won't even pay for his time Gordon Bach lives in Camden, Maine, and he doesn't leave there very often uh, anymore. But um, it was good to hear that song, good to hear that voice. Well, my wife and I, when we were up at Jonesport, had a chance to go out to Puffin Island. Now, that's out in the Atlantic. It takes a couple of hours to get there. We went out there with uh, Captain Barnabas Norton's boy. I've forgotten what his name is, but retired Coast Guard fellow. Took us out, a bunch of us out in a small boat to Puffin Island. You get into a smaller boat, a rowboat, and you land, uh, get landed through the surf. Well, that's Canadian territory, and they got a Canadian park ranger there. It's just a big rock in the middle of the ocean with a little house on it for the ranger. You walk over boardwalks across the, across the turf so that you don't damage anything. And you go to these sheds that are, that are blinds that have, um, you pull a string and it raises a window, and there are the puffins. They're about two, three feet away from you. Hundreds and hundreds of puffins and other seabirds, great auks, beautiful birds. I was in one of those blinds. It seemed like most of the people that had come out with us were there not to bird watch, but to photograph the puffins. So, and that, they were being rather rude about it, pushing me out of the way, and they had these lenses about a yard long sticking out of their cameras. So I went off by myself into a little blind, uh, but I couldn't find There were no windows in it, so I didn't see any puffins. They smelled terrible, though. Found out from the ranger I'd been in the, in the outhouse. Well, great Maine poet, a woman by the name of Ruth Moore. I was reading a book of her poetry to Joanna as we were driving. Here's Gordon Bach again, reciting one of Ruth Moore's great poems to Ballad of the Night, Charlie Tended Wire. Charlie had a heron wear down to Bailey's Bite. He got up to tend it in the middle of the night. Late October, midnight black as tar. Nothing out the window but a big cold star. House like a cemetery. Kitchen fire dead. I'm damn good mine, says Charlie, to go back to bed. A man who owns a heron ware, even on the side, is nothing but a slave to the goddamn tide. Well, man feels meager, man feels old, pitch black midnight, lonesome, cold. Chills in his stomach like 40,000 mice. 
And the very buttons on his pants, little lumps of ice. Times he gets to feeling it's no damned use. So Charlie had a pitcher full in his orange juice. Then he felt better than he had before, so he had another pitcher full to last him to the shore. Down by the beach rocks, underneath a tree, Charlie saw something he never thought he'd see. Sparkling in the lantern light as he went to pass, three big diamonds in the frosty grass. Well, he says, diamonds, where'd they come from? I'll pick them up later on. I always wanted some. Well, he hauled in his dory. She felt light as air. And in the dark midnight, rode off to tend where. Out by the ware gate, Charlie found an old sea serpent swimming round and round. Head like a washtub, whiskers like thatch, breath like the flame on a Portland star match. Black in the lantern light, up he rose, great big barnacle on the end of his nose. He looks Charlie over, surly and cross. Them fish you've got shut up in there belongs to my boss. Fish, says Charlie, fish in there? Well, I ain't caught a fish since I built a damn where. Well, says the sea serpent, nevertheless, there's 10,000 bushel and a rough guess. Charlie moved the lantern. He give his oars a pull. He saw that the ware was brimbalay full. Fish rising out of water a trillion at a time. And the side of each and every one was like a silver dime. Well, says the sea serpent, what you going to do? They're uncomfortable and they don't belong to you. So open this contraption up and let them go. Come on, shake the lead out. The boss says so. He does, says Charlie. Well, who the hell is he thinks he can set back and send word to me? Sea serpent swiveled round. He made a water spout. Keep on, brother, and you'll find out. Why, says Charlie, you're nothing but a lie, so old your hoary. So take your dirty whiskers off the gunwale of my dory. Sea serpent twizzled. He heaved underneath. He's gunned back a set of sharp yellow teeth. He come at Charlie with a gurgly roar, and Charlie let him have it with a port side oar. Right on the noggin, hell of a knock. And the old sea serpent, he sunk like a rock. So go on back, says Charlie, and tell the old jerk not to send a boy to do a man's work. Then over by the ware gate, tinkly and clear, a pretty little voice says, Yoo-hoo, Charlie, dear. Now what, says Charlie, this ain't funny. And the same sweet voice says, Yoo-hoo, Charlie, honey. And there on a seine pole, right in the ware, was a little green mermaid combing out her hair. All right, says Charlie, I see you, and I know who you come from, so you can get two. He let fly his bailing scoop, and landed with a clunk. And when the water settled, the mermaid, she had sunk. Then the ocean moved behind him with a mighty heave and hiss, and a thundery, rumbly voice remarked, I'm goddamn sick of this. And up come an old man, white from top to toe, whiter than a daisy field, whiter than the snow, carrying a pitchfork three times on it, muttering in his whiskers and madder than a hornet. My sea serpent is so lame that he can hardly stir. 
My best mermaid, you've raised a lump on her. And you've been pretty sassy calling me a jerk. So now the old man has come to do a man's work. Look, says Charlie, why don't you leave me be? You may be the hoary old man of the sea, but I've got to run the fish here. Shut up inside and you keep on freaking around, you make me lose the tide. Well, the next thing that Charlie knew, he was lying on the sand. The painter of his dory was right beside his hand. He could see across the bay, calm and still and wide. It was full daylight. It was high tide. Hmm, says Charlie, what am I about? The oars weren't wet, so he hadn't been out. Oh, he thought, diamonds, underneath the tree. Seems to me I found some. I'd better go see. But he couldn't find any, not one gem. Only three little owl dungs with a frost on them. Well, Gordon Bach, reciting a poem of Ruth Moore, the great Maine poet. Bath, Maine, I enjoyed playing up in Bath, Maine. I think it was a place called the Chocolate Church. Found out that that's where the great sailing ship, the five-masted schooner Flying Cloud, was, was created. I don't know if that's the same flying cloud that I encountered down there in Nantucket when I was playing through there. They said that the, a ship called the Flying Cloud had foundered on Great Head because it couldn't make it into the, into the harbor. Uh, that harbor was silted in. You know, uh, uh, Kendall Morris talked about different ways of saying that somebody is numb. Those, uh, those uh, whaling ships, um, because they were so heavy, they couldn't get across the bar that, that, that blocked the harbor, so they had these huge wooden floats that uh, like do like a, a big V that came around the bow and then uh, the, and would, would float the the ship up over the bar and those those floats are called camels and in Nantucket they still say it was somebody who's a little peculiar they say he tried to cross the bar without camels I suppose that's the only place we hear that I walked the keel of what somebody told me was the the flying cloud the remains of it nestled in the sand there on the outer si outer side of of uh, um, in Nantucket. I even got a, a hole plug I dug up out of the sand. Now, I don't know if this song here, The Flying Cloud, is the same flying cloud as, uh, as that I encountered, the one that was laid in Maine. It's for sure that uh, the center of the, of, this great slave, of the slaving trade in the early days was in New England, uh, particularly in Newport. Uh, here's a song that was common not only all along the coast of New England, but common in logging camps in New England and then way, way across in, uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Because if you weren't on the sea, you could be working in the forest. And in the logging camps, part of your rite of passage was to be able to sing all the verses to the flying cloud. Well, here's David Jones singing that song now. It was in Bermuda's island I met with Captain Moore. The captain of the flying cloud, the pride of Baltimore. I undertook to sail with him on a slaving voyage to go to the burning shores of Africa where the sugar cane doth grow. Well, it all went well until the day we came to Africa's shore. 
Five hundred of them weeping slaves from their native land we bore. We bound them down with iron chains, we made them walk below. Scarce eighteen inches to a man was all they had to show. Then the plague it came and the fever too It killed them off like flies We laid their bodies on the deck We hauled them o'er the side But sure the dead were lucky For they'd have to weep no more Not to rag the chain and feel the lash In Cuba forevermore Ah, but then our money, it was gone with to go to sea once more. And each man stayed and listened to the words of Captain Moore. There's gold and silver to be had if you with me remain. We'll hoist the pirate flag aloft, we'll scourge the Spanish main. Well, we sank and we plundered many a ship down on the Spanish main. Left many a wife and orphan child in sorrow to remain. To none we showed no kindness, we gave them watery graves. For the saying of our captain was, dead men tell no tales. Pursued we were by many a ship, both frigate and liner too. Until the British man of war, the Dunmow hove in view. She fired a shot across our bows as we ran before the wind. Then a chain shot cut our mainmast down, and we had to fall behind. They beat our crew to quarters as they came alongside. And soon across our quarter deck there ran a crimson tide. We fought till they killed our captain and twenty of our men. Then a bombshell set our ship on fire and we had to surrender then. Well, it's now to Newgate we are come bound down in iron chains. For sinking and for plundering of ships on the Spanish main. The judge has condemned us and we are bound to die. So young men a warning by me take. Lead not such a life as I. And fare thee well to Dublin town, and the girl I do adore. I'll never kiss your pretty cheek, nor hold your hand no more. For whiskey. And bad company, they've made a wretch of me. So a young man a warning by me take. 
and shun all piracy. Well, that was recorded many, many years ago at the Mariposa Folk Festival. They say a song common both on the sea and uh, through logging camps all across North America. A lot of the music that I have that I picked up and I'm playing for you today I got from radio station WERU in Blue Hill, Maine. I had a chance to stop and visit with them, and yes, they do play Loafer's Glory there. I send greetings out to you folks at Blue Hill, and thank you for your kindness, thank you for your hospitality. If you see Arnold, give him my love, will you, and that of my son. We spent uh, uh, several good visits with him up there at Blue Hill. Well, you folks gave me a song back there, uh, recorded locally by by a local fellow by the name of Clum Spencer. Now, I, I, I'm assuming that in this song that the place names that are all place names that occur somewhere in Maine. That's what my instinct tells me, but I'm not sure of it, and I forgot to ask while I was there. Nonetheless, from Blue Hill, Maine, let's listen to Clum Spencer sing the worldwide tour. Once I felt like going on a worldwide tour So I loaded out my old Chevy van Took plenty of grub in my little canoe And all of the money I had Hooray for the countries, hooray for the world Hooray for the sun and the rain Hooray for the fishing, hooray for the girls Hooray for the state of Maine First I went to China to see what was there, then to Egypt for a day or two. Then I went to Lebanon to look for some girls, and Denmark and Sweden too. Hooray for the countries, hooray for the world, hooray for the sun and the rain. Hooray for the fishing, hooray for the girls, hooray for the state of Maine. Then I went fishing in Norway a while and went camping in Poland, you see. Then after Peru and old Mexico, I thought that home was the place for me. Hooray for the countries, hooray for the world, hooray for the sun and the rain. Hooray for the fishing, hooray for the girls, hooray for the state of Maine. The daytime was hot and the nighttime was damp. The black flies almost drove me mad. Never caught any fish, never found any girls, though I spent all the money I had. Hooray for the countries, hooray for the world. Hooray for the sun and the rain. Hooray for the fishing, hooray for the girls. Hooray for the state of Maine. I wrecked my canoe and my old Chevy van and hitchhiked home in the rain. But I went to nine countries in less than a week and I never left the state of Maine. Hooray for the countries, hooray for the world, hooray for the sun and the rain. Hooray for the fishing, hooray for the girls, hooray for the state of Maine. 
worldwide tour recorded in Maine. Clum Spencer. I would sure like to make his acquaintance when they get back there. Well, we're coming to the end of this. I think it'd be a good idea to do a Loafer's Glory, Hobo Jungle of the Mind about every state in the Union, including Alaska and Hawaii. Wouldn't that be it? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ponder that for a good bit. You know, we were coming back from Puffin Island and Captain ba- uh, Barnabas Barna Norton's craft. Huge fog bank blanketed the coast. I'd heard about that Maine fog. We headed right into it, headed for shore. I didn't know how I was going to know where the shore was at all, and I was considerably worried, but I wasn't going to approach him on the matter, the captain on the matter, because uh, he'd been at it for many, many years and knew what he was doing. But finally, my trepidation became so great that I said, Captain, how are you going to know whether we're going to run onto the rocks or not? He bade me go below and bring up a box of those Aroostook potatoes. He stationed me in the bow of the boat with those potatoes. He said, now, you drop those potatoes off one at a time, and when I don't hear a splash, I'll turn hard. (laughs) Well, country music from the state of Maine. uh, Maine is marginally in the country. Jimmy Barnes, the reason I'm playing this, I know it isn't Christmas. I'm playing this for my wife, Joanna. I loved the pleasure of your company, sweetheart, while we were up there. And this song has in it the place names of all the places that we visited. Jimmy Barnes and a Christmas in Maine. When it's Christmas time in Christmas cold on the coast of down east Maine when the oceans pray in Frenchman's Bay breezes to the bow again when the lobster boats in deer I look like decorations on a tree that means it's winter time in down east Maine and Christmas time for me the schooner Point towards the sky in Camden's winter pour, and the snow that falls on one sweet shines white on granite rock. When Blue Hill looks like a Christmas card, and Popham's a sight to see, that means it's winter time and down these lanes, and Christmas time for me. I don't. Of time, her stocking by the fire, Christmas night. I'll take a snowy day, an ocean blue, and a coastline full of trees. When it's winter time and down east Maine, it's Christmas time for me. And someone down in Jonesport Missed you when you were gone When the crowds of the left old orchard The pier stands empty Thank 
you for listening and being in the state of Maine with me. This is you, Utah Phillips, the golden voice of the great Southwest, and you have been listening to Loafer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. You lean at ease in your warm house at night after supper, listening to your daughter play the accordion. You smile with the pleasure of a man confident in his hands, resting after a day of long labor in the forest, the cry of the saw in your head, and the vision of coming home to rest. Your daughter's face is clear in the joy of hearing her own music, her fingers live on the keys, like people familiar with the land they were born in.